If you are new here, uh, or you weren't here last week, or because you've had a long week, you've forgotten what we said last week, which is perfectly fair and possible, we are spending two weeks looking at the life of King David um, before he was king in the book of 1 Samuel. And over these two weeks, last week and this week, we're picking up two particular stories that center around the Hebrew word kazak or hazak, which means to strengthen, to be strong, to prevail, to be courageous, to be firm, and to be resolute. And last week we picked up a story in the book of 1 Samuel 30 when David's wives get captured. And, and, it, and it says the key part of that story is, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And we looked at how we can find strength by looking in the word of God and by looking up and beholding and seeing his majesty and his glory. And today, the story that we're going to look at, David finds himself in a different circumstance, in a different situation. And in this story, what we will see is that his closest friend, Jonathan, helps David to find strength in the Lord his God. And what we're hopefully we're going to learn from these two stories is one, as Christians, if you're a Christian here, you need to know you need to be strengthened in God daily. You need to find strength in him daily. It's a fight and it's a battle. But what we learned last week is that we have a personal responsibility to go to God and be strengthened in him ourselves. But what we're going to learn this week is that being strengthened in God is a community activity. Church, we are better together. We are a family. We need one another to be strengthened. And that's what we're going to look at and learn today. God never intended us to walk alone, ever. He made us a family so that we would strengthen one another in faith and in life. So we're going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 23. If you've got a Bible, I'm reading from the ESV. It's going to come up on the screen. Please do follow it. So we're going to read from verse 1 up to verse 18. Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Calah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? Remember, the Philistines are the enemy of God and God's people. And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Calah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Caleb against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again. And the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Caleb, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Caleb and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Caleb. When Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David to Calah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah. And Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war to go down to Calah to besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him. And he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Calah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Calah surrender me into his hand? Will he tell your servant? And the Lord said, he will come down. 
Then David said, will the men of Caleb surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Caleb, and they went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Caleb, he gave up the expedition. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day. But God did not give him into his hands. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. Horesh means a wooded area or a woodland. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. We're going to be really emphasizing verses 15 to 18. To understand the story, there's two particular things we need to understand by way of context. The first is this. David is on the run from King Saul. So King Saul, who is the current king of Israel, is jealous that David is, um, has been anointed to be king the future king, and he's jealous of him, and so he pursues him. And verse 14 says he chases him every day. And so David is effectively a fugitive in his own land. He is on the run, and Saul is ruthlessly trying to pursue him and kill him. This is a bad situation for David to find himself in. And the second thing we need to understand about this story is the friendship and the relationship between Jonathan and David. Listen to what 1 Samuel 18 says. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Jonathan and David had an incredibly deep love for one another. They were committed to one another. They were committed to serve one another, to strengthen one another, to help one another. And the reality is this. Jonathan was born into a king's family. David, a shepherd boy. It's also worth noting that Jonathan than David. Do you know, friendship in the kingdom is not based on age. It's not based on social status. It's not based even on culture. Friendship in the kingdom crosses all of those divides that exist in the world. It crosses age divides and would otherwise not have been alike. He was older. He was from a different line, from a royal line. David, a shepherd boy from Bethlehem. And yet they find themselves committed and covenanted to each other. I hope you see the picture for us today as a church. So let's look at the scripture in verse 15 to 18 particularly. So David finds himself in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. We've got a picture of the wilderness. It looks a bit like that probably. Not a great place to find yourself really when you're on the run. And the first thing to note in, chapter, in verse 16 is this. Jonathan got up, rose, and went to David. We don't actually know why he went. Did God tell him? The scripture doesn't say that. Did David send word for him? We don't exactly know. Perhaps more likely, given the history between these two, Jonathan found out David was in trouble, found out where he was, and said, I want to go and strengthen my friend in the Lord. But the reality is, whatever triggered him to go, it doesn't really matter that much. The point is, he got up and he went. Intentionally and consciously, he got up 
and went. Probably a 25 to 30 mile trip from Gibeah, which was where Saul's palace was, across to the wilderness. He intentionally left his place of comfort and in the palace to go to the wilderness in a wooded area to go and strengthen his friend in God. Jonathan left his place of comfort to go to a place of discomfort. Doesn't that remind you of what Jesus did for us? That though he was in the form of God and equal to God, he did not consider that worthy. Um, I'm going to read from Philippians 2 just for a minute. You know, sometimes we just forget the obvious scriptures that you know all your life. This is one of those moments. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. Jonathan left his place of comfort and went to the wilderness of Ziph. Jesus left heaven and came here on a rescue mission. And actually for Jonathan, not only did he make an intentional and conscious effort, but he also, what he did was very costly as well. He left the safety of his palace to go through a dangerous wilderness. If you want to know what happens in wilderness places in the Bible, go to the Good Samaritan. When the, when the man is on the road in the, in the wilderness, effectively, and he gets robbed. There were robbers, there were wild animals. It was a dangerous place to be. And worse still for Jonathan, there was a risk that his father would find out and he would incur the wrath or worse of his father who is relentlessly trying to kill and pursue David. Jonathan risked probably his own life to go and strengthen David's hand in God. Why did he go? Ultimately, because he loved his friend. And his love was so self-sacrificial, he was so committed to David that he rose and he went to his friend. Can you imagine if you were David in that moment, you're in a wilderness, you're in a dark place, and you see in the distance your friend coming towards you? Can you imagine the comfort and the relief and the joy that must have brought David in that moment? And if the story had ended there, we could have gone, wow, David must have really been uplifted by seeing his friend. But Jonathan came with a purpose. And his purpose was this, to strengthen his friend's hand in God. Jonathan didn't just come so that his friend would feel better about himself, so he'd realize he wasn't alone. He came with a specific purpose to strengthen David in God. And the reality is, at this moment, David needed strengthening. He was in a dark place. He was in a tough situation. Here is a man who is a warrior, a man of faith, a man who has fought many battles, a strong believer in Yahweh, yet he needed strengthening. Friends, no matter how long you have been a Christian, no matter how far along the journey of faith you are, you never outgrow the need for one another and for friends to journey with you. An isolated Christian is a dangerous place to be. We never outgrow the need to be strengthened by friends in God. And so Jonathan comes with this purpose. And it, but like last week, when we looked at it, we see that Jonathan doesn't come to appeal to human wisdom. He doesn't come to make, Jonathan, to make David's self-confidence suddenly rise and go, yes, John, David, you can do this. You can take down Saul. He doesn't come and even give him a plan. I mean, 
Surely David's like, how am I going to get out of this mess? And Jonathan comes to strengthen his hand in God. He points David to God, his rock, his refuge, his deliverer, his provider, his fortress. This is not a self-help mission, but he came to call David to look beyond his situation and to look up at God and find strength there. And this, friends, is the heartbeat of Christian community. We strengthen one another in our walk with Jesus Christ. There is a place for wisdom and advice and saying to people, how about going this way, not that way? But I've been reading recently the book of Job, and sometimes Job's friends, in their trying to give human wisdom, make a bit of a mess of it. Actually, what Jonathan does here is he points David to God and says, you will find strength in God. And what does he say to him? He says, do not fear. Doesn't that sound awfully a lot like Jesus' words in Mark 6 when he's walking on the water and he says to his disciples, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Doesn't it sound awfully like those words? And he doesn't say do not fear because David's circumstances are easy. In fact, his circumstances actually get worse at points from this day onwards. But he says do not fear because God is with him. Because God is watching over him and because God has got him. And maybe as Jonathan said this, he was reminded of what he'd already written, David, in Psalm 27, which says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is, my, is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And David's soul was revived in God. And he said, I don't need to fear because the Lord God himself is with me. And then he goes on to say in verse 17, you shall be king over Israel. He reminds him of the promises of God over his life. He calls him, he says, you have promises over your life that are unfulfilled. And I'm here to remind you that God is faithful to his promises and his word will not return to you empty and you will be king. And so he strengthened him in God by reminding life. And then he says this quite amazing phrase, you shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Can you imagine in this family, if somebody walks up to you and says, whatever you go through in life, I shall be next to you. I commit myself to you. I'm with you in the battle. I will be there through thick and thin to strengthen you in God, to love you, to serve you. Isn't that quite a beautiful thing? Can you imagine David hearing that in a moment? I shall be next to you. That sounds like a promise that someone might say at a wedding, yet here are two friends that I think are modeling something of what the church is to be like. I shall be next to you. Doesn't it also sound like Ruth and Naomi? Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. And we need to also understand Jonathan's situation here and his position. Jonathan is the rightful heir to the throne. Okay, Jonathan should have been king, but David is the one whom God has chosen. And Jonathan, in this moment, he says, I am going to lay down myself and my rights and my ambition for the good of seeing David flourish in God's plans and purposes. Isn't that quite an incredible thing that Jonathan is doing? The humility, the self-sacrificial love that is on display from Jonathan to raise up his friend, who is just a shepherd boy from Bethlehem. In nobody, in many ways... 
and the rightful heir to the throne, it says, I will lay down my ambitions to see you, my friend, strengthened and flourished and released into the purposes of God. Wow. That is quite a humbling, quite a self-sacrificial way of living life. And my question to you this morning, church, is who in this family have you committed to strengthen? Where can you be a Jonathan to somebody or some people in this family? I recognize that in a community of 100 or so people, we might only be able to directly strengthen a handful of people. But this is where the body, each of us, this is a ministry for everybody, not for the few, where each of us gets to go to somebody else or a, or a small group of people and say, I am committing to strengthening you and seeing you flourish in the kingdom of God. And there's also something in the story, I believe, about older people and younger people and the beauty of the church family being multi-age and spread across different cultures as well and different social backgrounds that says that, that actually doesn't count in the kingdom. Actually, younger folk need older folk who have walked through a journey of faith and go, I will show you what it looks like to live a life of faithfulness in the kingdom of God. And sometimes young people may not want to hang out with people who are older than them. I get that. They, they think I'm really old at New Day. They think I'm ancient. Somebody said I was 52 at New Day, and I was like, what? Come off it. <laughs> I'm only 35. They think I'm way past it. I recognize that. I'm not, I am not 15 anymore. I was never cool, and I'm definitely not cool now. But there is something about that, an older person coming and saying, I want to invest and pour myself into you. And that's exactly what Jonathan is doing here. At least 10, maybe 20 years older. And he says, yes, but my friend, I'm going to commit myself to you to strengthen you. Age is no barrier. You don't have to be cool and hip to invest in the lives of younger people in this family. In fact, I was just reading a blog post yesterday that said there's an increasing evidence that shows that young people who are in churches of in, that are intergenerational, actually as, as older people invest in younger people, actually that causes a flourishing for the younger folk in the church. And you may be here and you're like, oh, where are all the young guys? Actually, do you know what you need? Older men and women who have journeyed life. And older men and women, you need younger men and women who are you going to call on and see flourish in the kingdom of God. Church, I believe that this story is a microcosm, an example of what we are called to be like, of how we are called to, to live out lives. Do you know what? There's some changes afoot in this church on one level. We're about to release Nick and Motti to Seattle Nick is an elder over this church. It's going to be costly to send him to Seattle. We're going to lose a dear brother and sister in Christ to a different part of the world, and we will still love them and be with them, but we won't be next to them. We've just sent a whole lot of people to go and plant a church in Penn Hill, and we feel the effects of sending some of those people. Some people, like we said earlier, James and Rio, have moved on. Sending is costly. Releasing people is costly. It can be difficult, but it means we get a chance to rebuild and invest and strengthen one another. And can I call us this morning to be a family of Jonathans? A family of self-sacrificial love. A family where we lay down our own ambitions to see others flourishing in the kingdom. A family where we rise and go to strengthen others. And a family that reminds one another of the promises of God for each other and who live with the bigger picture of what God is doing in this town and the nations of the world.
I want to finish with this. How do we do this? Practically, what does it look like? Firstly, it looks like being intentional. Jonathan rose and went. If Jonathan can cross a wilderness, we can cross a seat or a street to go and strengthen somebody. Every Sunday, we gather, we have the opportunity to strengthen one another in faith to the person sitting next to you, to the person who's in the far side of the room to you. It may not be a long conversation. It may just be, I just want to encourage you in God today. That is the unique privilege we have. David found himself alone with his men, and Jonathan came from some 30 miles away. We gather every week to strengthen one another. Let's use the opportunities that God has given us to be intentional. So I want to ask and encourage you, come with the mind of who can I strengthen today in God? Who can I come and invest into today? Who can I build up? And increasingly for me, as I'm, as I'm living out in the week, if, if people come to mind, I just think, oh, I wonder how they're doing. I just send them a text and say, oh, hey, I hope you're doing. I've just been thinking about you. And you, never, you don't know what's going on in their life. They might be in a crisis moment. They might be feeling okay. But the fact that somebody comes into their life and a text really isn't that costly and you know, it's free on my data plan, it takes two minutes to send. I don't even have to go anywhere at one level. But even that sense of I am thinking of you and I'm, I'm, med- I'm thinking about you and I want to strengthen you right now is powerful. A phone call, a visit across the street to somebody. We've got to be intentional if we're going to do this as a family. And this is something for all. This is not a ministry for the few. This is a ministry for the church, for the church family. So firstly, we need to be intentional. Secondly, I want to encourage you, why not join a small group? You may go, ah, small groups again. Why do we always plug these groups? And if you have no motivation to go other than this, go because you can strengthen somebody else this term. If your only motivation is maybe I can go and strengthen someone else in faith, that's a good reason to sign up. There are groups of people meeting across the town on a weekly basis, groups of 10 or 12, across different age groups and things like that. So check it out, get involved, and think, who can I strengthen today? If you haven't got a copy of that, then go and to the connect point at the end. And the last is this. This isn't a shopping list. But we, right now, as we have sent a whole load of people away, I'm going to put it out there, we have an acute need of people to come and serve into our Sunday context. We are short in kids' work, we are short on our welcome team, we are short in PA, we are probably short in projection, and serving is not about can we get a one in four rotor sorted so that everyone, okay, it'll be nice one day. If Carla was sat here, she'd say that's nice, she does all the rotors. That's not the goal. The goal is we get to strengthen one another. What better way that when someone walks through the door, you get to greet them with a smile and just say, hey, how are you? How's your week been? And they get to feel welcomed and included. What better way of strengthening our children than going to say, I'm going to invest in the life of our children in this, in this community? What better way of strengthening by saying, I'm going to put words on a screen so that others can actually sing the songs? I mean, it might sound like a small thing, but it's those small ways that we actually strengthen one another. Be intentional. Get involved in smaller communities. Serve. If you want to know how you can serve, come and see me. I can tell you many, many different ways you can get involved. It doesn't just have to be on a Sunday context as well. But the reality is, like any family, the few do the most. 20% do 80% of the work. Can we swap that around? Can we swap that around? 80, 90% of us involved, serving, strengthening one another. I want to call us into that. That's what it looks like to strengthen each other in faith. So the, so the really, the, the outworking of what we've shared over the last two weeks is this. Let's be those who strengthen ourselves in God. Look in 
the word of God and look up and see the majesty and the glory and the faithfulness of God. But let's strengthen one another by looking out and say, I'm going to go intentionally to strengthen and to uphold and to build up others in the faith as we gather week in, week out. Look in, look up, and look out. That's the message I want to communicate over these last couple of weeks. I want to say, let's be those who strengthen one another in faith. Can I just ask if you're able, just want to stand, I just want to pray over us as we, as we close today. I'm just going to read a, a message that I got um, sent last night. This is from a lady called Anita Sinclair who came and preached um, a few weeks ago over here. She's in the West site. And Carla said this. She said, I was chatting with Anita today and she said that she loved the week that she came to the East in August. We're so friendly and family-like and the way that we greet people at the door is so lovely. And then it goes on to say a few other things. So I want to encourage us in what we are already seeing as a family that love each other and I want to call us into the more. Who can you strengthen today? Father, I thank you for the church. I thank you for this church. I thank you for friends and family that we get to walk alongside, invest into, strengthen, and say to one another, do, do not fear. God's promises over your life will come true, and I will be next to you. I pray for a family of people that will go to one another, ones and twos and threes, Lord, may we never do this out of guilt or a sense of duty, but may we do it out of being motivated by love for you and love for one another. Ultimately, that's what drove Jonathan, love for David, love for God. I pray that we would be driven and motivated by a deep love for you, and Lord, knowing how much you love your family, we would be motivated again by love for each other. Lord, help us in this, Lord. Lord, we say thank you for all that we are seeing, all that is happening. Lord, but we want to just call us into the more, and we pray, Jesus, that you will enable us to do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, where we naturally might want to withdraw from others, I pray that you give us the courage to go towards and to strengthen. I pray for a family that is committed to looking out at strengthening one another and is committed to looking in the Bible and looking up to God as the source of our strength as a source of our hope, as a, as a source of provision as well, Lord. We rest in your promises. We thank you that, Jesus, you are on the throne. And, Lord, that will never change. You're the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You're the unchanging one. And, Lord, I pray for anybody here this morning who is struggling. I ask and I pray that they would, they would find their strength in you and they would find others coming and strengthening them in faith. And we ask all these things for your joy, Lord, and for your glory, Lord, and for your, that the kingdom of God would be established and the church would be built up, Lord, and that we would be released into all that you have called us to. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Be blessed, my friends. Thank you so much. Um, if you want to hang around, um, please do. If there are people on the prayer team, if you want prayer for anything this morning, please do make yourself known. Either come to the front or the sides. We'd love to pray for you if that's you.